Hi, I'm Pete Price, and my guest today on my podcast is the Chief Constable of Merseyside Police, Serena Kennedy. We're in the new HQ. Why have they got rid of Canning Place? What is the new HQ all about? How does she look back over her policing of the last 12 months? She's been in the job over 12 months now. She has an opinion. She's our First Lady Chief Constable. It is Serena Kennedy. Join me now on my podcast. Well, I'm delighted, absolutely thrilled to say I'm in the new headquarters in Liverpool, the police headquarters. I am absolutely flabbergasted. It's quiet, it's peaceful, it's spacious. And what comes over to me is that everybody is working together now. Now, the old police station was horrendous, great in its day, but it was all offices and little places and nooks and crannies, so people didn't meet everybody. But now, what I've got, the sense of just even walking in this amazing building, uh, is that there is more work done because they're all seeing each other it's incredible there's a beautiful canteen uh, facility there are desks where you can plug in your computer it's all open plan it is amazing it really is amazing and i'm with the chief constable serena kennedy hello lovely to see you pete and welcome to this fabulous building as you said you know we are i'm still been in here six months now uh still big smile on my face whenever I walk into it each morning because it is just as you say such a fantastic working environment. Tell people the history the brief history of why you've moved. So as you said you know Canning Place uh, been around 40 odd years um, no longer fit for purpose really for a modern for a modern police force it wasn't providing the facilities that we need uh, to make sure that we're delivering a high quality of service to our communities of Merseyside which they deserve but also it was inefficient it was expensive it certainly wasn't uh, environmentally friendly and one of the considerations was you know do we could we refurb canning place it was actually more expensive to do that than it was to, to have this this new build um, which means we can operate um, collaborate and that team working is so much easier here and do the police own the old building yes the police own the old building yes so that's being prepared prepared for sale as you would do get your house ready house ready for market that's being prepared for market it's going to be interesting whoever um, actually buys it what they're going to do about the uh, safes that are hidden away because they're big safes. <laughs> yeah, we'll have that as you know, again. That's part of getting it ready for market in terms of understanding what what the building uh, what the building is and what what there is there. The bit we've been really keen to make sure is we take all the historical artifacts with us. And retired officers have been contacting us to say, make sure you take the blue light, make sure you take this because it's a you know it's a magnificent part of our history. In our, you know, in my office here, I've got the original photo album, which I found when I moved into the office in uh, Canning Place, of the opening of Canning Place. It was opened by the Queen and Prince Philip. So, you know, it's got, it's a really important part of our history, uh, but it was time for us to move on and modernise the building we were operating from. Interesting that you've got the photographs. Just thinking about it then when you said that, when Canning Place was built, there was nothing around, was there? And again, that's really fascinating. I've recently had quite a few staff retire 
retiring who've got you know 45 years plus and they talk about that around moving from the old headquarters at Hope Street which was in the you know a vibrant part of town and they were moving down to Canning Place Albert Dock was silted up it was you know almost stood on its own and they did wonder where they were going and you look at it now you know right next to Liverpool One thriving Albert Dock and you can't believe the contrast which you can see in the photo album. Don't suppose by any chance you know how much it cost all those years ago? Oh, I don't know. That's a really good question, but no, I don't. Oh, find out. See if you find yeah, out, because that would be interesting, because yeah. it must be worth a great deal of money. Yeah. I'm talking to Chief Constable of the Merseyside Police. Uh, I'm sitting in her office. Uh, we've just had a, a tour, and I really am overwhelmed at the new building. I am, oh, I'm now looking over at Scotland Road, uh, over to the Wirral, um, and I'm watching the landscape develop in Liverpool, which it is. It's just breathtaking. Uh, you have been Chief Constable for now over a year. Yeah, 13 months now. It's gone, uh, gone in the blink of an eye. Can't quite believe it. Now, doing what you do and getting to the position you're in, I mean, it was the most exciting thing. Uh, our first uh, lady police officer, who was the chief, um, but who'd have known in a million years you would have taken over in such terrible times? Now, looking back, uh, did you make a mistake? Did I make a mistake taking the job? Absolutely not. No, it was absolutely the right thing to do. You know, I love being Chief Constable of Merseyside Police. I am so proud to be Chief Constable of Merseyside Police. Our staff and our officers do amazing things every day, no matter what role they have in the organisation. You know, they do brilliant things, but we are all focused on putting our communities first and everything we do is making sure we provide that high quality of service to our communities. But you're quite right, Pete, you know, what a year. When I took over last April, we were still in lockdown. We were looking forward to what we thought would be Freedom Day in June, and then it got postponed to July, so we were still dealing with the challenges of COVID. And some would say we still are. Um, you know, and then obviously the explosion outside of the women's, absolutely horrendous. Um, and then the murder of Ava White, and we've got the trial ongoing um, at the moment. So... Incredibly challenging year, but again, incredibly proud of the work that the officers and the staff have done and the work we have done with our partners and, and with our communities throughout you know, the past 12 months, which has brought, you know, we, we were in the national, obviously we made national media around both of those incidents I've referred to, but actually what I think it showed was Merseyside at its very best, the way we stood together as partners, as communities, as the police service, um, to, to work through those incidents. Um, and, you know, there was, there was, whilst they were hugely challenging and devastating incidents for families um, and our, our communities, actually, we just demonstrated, I think, the great spirit of Merseyside. Now, you mentioned about that dreadful murder, which we can't talk about because it's ongoing. But what I can talk about is, as an older man now, when I was young, I had respect for the police, whether I liked them or not. And there must have been youth crime, but nothing like there is now. I find the biggest problem, and it's not Merseyside, it's everywhere... It, it seems to be there's a dreadful disrespect from young people uh, towards police officers in this country. What can be do done about this? 
mean, what I would say is the majority of our communities still have the utmost respect for um, for policing, and that's you know true, you know, and true in Merseyside. Yes, trust and confidence in policing has taken a hit during COVID. You know, having to issue COVID fines, having to police through some of the uh, protests that took place through COVID uh, because people, you know, the anti-vax protests. So, so. Trust and confidence has been impacted, but the majority of people still have that that respect and trust and confidence for policing. We are working really hard to engage with those communities where we know that trust and confidence has been impacted the most. Community engagement is one of my priorities that I was very clear about when I became Chief Constable, and it's absolutely about building those relationships with the communities. Um, doing some of the myth busting you know so for me it's around educating um, our communities that don't necessarily trust us about the work we're doing when I talk to the organization I describe it as a teachable moment every interaction we have with a member of our community is an opportunity to demonstrate the positive positive work that you know that we are doing that's ongoing within the organization you know talk about how proud we are talk about the work that we're doing to tackle serious violence to tackle knife crime the successes we're having around all of that talk about the work that we're doing to tackle um, violence against women and girls talk about the work we're doing um, to tackle disproportionality in our in our in policing talk about inclusion everybody within the organization has got responsibility to try and rebuild that trust and confidence and ultimately that that respect that you that you ref, that you refer to see staying with the youth because it really is a bugbear of mine now. I find there is no respect from... Uh, by the way, to all the nice kids who are listening to this interview, uh, apologies to you, but I'm talking about the feral lot, the ones where the parents don't seem to worry and even care where they are. I had an incident recently where I actually saw it with my own eyes where a knife was pulled from a youngster on somebody who was asking him to leave a building, and I was appalled by that. It was the fact that... And then they re- grouped outside afterwards to 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 go back in because they weren't going to leave it do you think that social media it's got fantastic good points but do you not think it's doing a lot of damage I think you're right. I think social media, you know, has uh, there's lots of positives about it, but we also need to work, make sure it's being used responsibly. And, you know, where that young person that you refer to has been carrying a knife, we've got a really important role as policing, working with our partners and with our communities to educate the, around the dangers of of carrying knives and the impact and the serious consequences that that can have and we know in our in our um, city region we've got more to do around that that's why things like the violence reduction partnership are so important we ni- we need to identify those those young people those families and those communities who are most at risk of thinking that carrying a knife is acceptable that are most at risk at ending up becoming exploited or becoming the exploited how can we identify them earlier who are our partners that we need to identify those young people whether it be social care whether it be education and then intervene working together as a partnership putting in place education programs that's exactly what we're doing uh, in the violence reduction partnership and we are seeing some great results where we are identifying those young people who are carrying knives who are all verging on the edge of serious crime giving them alternative routes out of criminality and actually some 
some great working with some great charities where we signpost the young people to work with those charities we are seeing very low rates of reoffending and actually we are giving them education programs we're giving them qualifications meaning that they can go out and have great careers and changing their aspirations that's what we need to do to tackle it just staying one more time with uh, the youngsters um i uh, went to a party recently where there was a young lady who's having her 18th birthday and there was a lot of young people there. there was a lot of boys a lot of girls so there was two parties there was an adult party and a young party point i want to make is they've had two years of lockdown those kids and i saw them drinking out of out of control because they could now and i also saw a, a strange difference and distance between the boys and girls it was like when i went years and years ago to a, 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 a dance at the ymca the boys sat on one side the girls and this was all about the fact that they haven't mixed because schools have been strange when they went back to school this has got to make your job even harder you know, I talked about Freedom Day and how this time last year, you know, we were planning for Freedom Day in June and it ended up being, you know, in July. Um, and we have seen increases in demand because people have... People haven't been able to go out and about, whether it be to, into our into our great vibrant city, into our nighttime economy, or whether it be into the the, the town centres in our in our other in our other locations around Merseyside, or whether it be into our great open spaces. We have seen increases in footfall um, a, across the board, but that's again why it's important for us to um, have that visible presence. So we have um, we have we now. Uh, resource our nighttime economy operation in each of our town centres and city centres. There's more staff there so that people can come out and feel safe. Um, whilst, again, educating around what's acceptable behaviour um, when you are on a night out. So working with our partners around our Safer Streets initiatives, because you're quite right, um, just as our officers, you know, we've got officers who've never, who'd never seen St Helens Town Centre or Liverpool City Centre or Southport Town Centre with bars and clubs open. So, you know, again, we've had to educate our staff, uh, our officers and our staff and our PCSOs around how you police in scenarios like that. So, and I don't think we'll ever see communities go back to the way it was. I think this, there's a new normality now and we need to um, get ready as, you know, we need to be ready with our partners for how we uh, how we work with our communities to address those issues. That's an interesting point you say, a new um, normal. Is policing changing then to a new normal? Absolutely. I think policing has changed incredibly um, over the, during the past 12 months, but also over the past two years um, in terms of policing through COVID. So like many um, uh, public sector organisations and many businesses, you know, the whole agile working, you know, we had to we had to turn on a sixpence overnight um, and make, make sure that we, we had the ability, we had to open up police stations that had been mothballed so we could make sure people who needed to be in work uh, could work and be social distanced. Uh, we needed to provide agile working and when I say agile working I mean working from different from your not from your normal workplace including working from home we needed to lay our hands on as many laptops as we could so people could isolate but still remain delivering that brilliant service uh, to our communities but I think public expectation um, has changed as well uh, during that period and also that a bit that bit I mentioned earlier around trust and confidence so policing has got to work hard now to regain and maintain that uh, that trust and confidence and I think public expectation has changed so yes I think policing has changed 
and we've got to move forward. We can't look back to try and get back to what 2020 looks like. We've got to make sure Merseyside Police is policing for our communities of 2022, but also looking forward to the future as well. What's your year been like? It hasn't been easy, has it? It's been a tough year. It's been a challenging year. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable year, though. You know, from a policing aspect, we've we've dealt with some... We've dealt with some incidents that I think probably other chief constables never in their in their time would get to deal with. But I've been incredibly proud of the work that you know Merseyside Police has done in partnership with our communities and with our partners. But there's been some great there's been some great things as well. You know, I got to go back to my old primary school. Um, they invited me back as the first female chief constable, so that was lovely to go back and see and just see how much has not changed. The benches in the sports hall were still the same benches that I was sat on. Boom. Too, too many years that I'd care to care to recount. You know, I went back to my old sixth form college and did a talk to the policing studies course then. What's been lovely because of the restrictions being lifted, we've been able to start doing our long service ceremonies. Uh, we've been able to start having parents um, coming in um, to watch their, their their children and their loved ones do their attestations where they take their, the oath to be a police officer or, or a PCSO uh, and also inviting them back into the passing out parade. So there, the really, you know, the, the really the things that are, are lovely to engage uh, engage with the families and the communities in those events that I've been able to go and speak to. So it's been a fantastic twelve months. As soon as you said uh, primary school, I went back to my primary school like you because uh, I've been doing radio. They asked me back, and I was visibly shocked. I honestly, honestly do not remember my bottom being that small. <laughs> the grey, those toilets. It's like you sit with the bench, you go, I never sat on one of those. Well, when I went into reception and they gave me, a, gave me a chair to sit on to talk to the children, yeah, I don't remember the chairs being uh, <laughs> being that small. But, you know, it was funny, the building, this, it's, you know, the, the where, the, where the dining room tables were stored and being packed away, there was so much that yeah. was still there. You know, when I left there in, gosh, 19, 1983, so, uh, yeah, 1983, is that right? Yeah, 1983, so it was lovely to go back. I've got to ask, um, racism. I've got to think about racism. I think uh, I don't do a phone-in anymore now because you have to think of every word. I think the political correctness, in my humble opinion, has gone completely overboard and I'm frightened to know where it's going because I think it's going to reverse that's another story but racism if you find any racism within the police wherever we've heard about all the problems in london if somebody is a racist and they've been brought up a racist like they're brought up homophobic like they are anti-women because there's still many people out there all the education in the world is not going to change their views isn't this a big problem not just for you for all of us I think absolutely um, it, it is, this is a societal issue that we all need to be seeking to address. You know, I, I'm really clear with, with, with the public, with our communities, that if um, I identify, we identify any behaviour that we would consider to be racist, homophobic, sexist, misogynist, um, we will not tolerate that behaviour. I will not tolerate that behaviour and people will find themselves subject to the misconduct regulations or going through the criminal justice uh, system if... Um, if it's a, you know, a crime that they've committed. I've been very clear uh, about that as Chief Constable and we have got a number of cases that are going through misconduct and going through the, the criminal justice process. 
I consider that to be a positive because I have encouraged people to not tolerate that behaviour and to speak up and to speak out about it. And people are having the confidence to do that. But I've also been really challenging uh, with the organisation that there is disproportionality in our systems. So in terms of we are not as reflective of the communities as we should be. And, And that is for all protected characteristics, including if you are female, including if you are if you are disabled, including if you are gay. So inclusion is one of my priorities. We are working incredibly hard to make sure we are recruiting a diverse workforce. We need to be reflective of the communities we are serving, that to impact on trust and confidence. We also look at disproportionality in in our systems in terms of if you're a black person, you are less likely to want to report a crime to us. And if you do report a crime to us, you are less likely to want to go to court. There's disproportionality in first time entrance into the criminal justice system. Um, There's disproportionality in, in, in stop search. I have not shied away from any of that. But what we need to do is we need to talk about it and we are talking about it in Merseyside Police and we are talking about it with our partners and with our communities. And we have got work ongoing wherever we identify disproportionality, we have got work ongoing to tackle it. So specific schemes to understand where we find that disproportionality, what can we do about it? And I think that's the important bit, that we that we have those conversations. I have conversations with, 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 with the team, with the, with the staff, with the organisation to say, it's no longer good enough to say... I am not racist, I am not homophobic, I am not sexist. For me, that language has started to become a little bit lazy. We need to be more active about it. So we need to be having conversations. We need to be having those difficult conversations, which we've shied away from in the past, so that people feel confident to to ask the questions. You know, if you speak to some of our colleagues who are from black and minority ethnic communities, or they are, uh, they, they identify from the LGBT community, they're quite happy to ask the questions answer questions if they're asked from a from a position of care and compassion and inquisitiveness even by having those conversations we're starting to move into an organization where we are being more open about being inclusive and that's the message that the organization gets from me loud and clear um those things are an issue but we are dealing with them and we've got we've got lots of work ongoing to tackle um racism, sexism, you know, that misogynist behaviour within the organisation. Now, you talk about diversion and and diversity. Um, Within television, within the BBC, within ITV, with everyone, within the police, a lot of people are now starting to say, but it doesn't matter, surely, about the colour of your skin. It's about whether you can do the job. And isn't that more important? I would disagree. I think we absolutely need to be reflective of the communities we're serving. We know, um, we know that if if we have, um, if we are representative of the communities we're serving, they are more likely to want to work with us, want to have that trust with us, and have confidence. So, in so in terms of the diversity of Merseyside, it's at five point five percent for Black and minority uh, ethnic communities. In terms of Merseyside Police, we are only at three point five percent, but for our Black communities, we're down at kind of one and a half percent. We've got to work so much harder to try and build trust and confidence with people in those communities to encourage them to to join us, so we can be reflective about those communities. You know, if you don't see role models in your organ in in, in the 
the police service, you are less likely to join us. You know, and I can speak for myself as being a female. You know, when I joined, I would often be the only female on a team or the only female on a course. I didn't have those role models around me. It is more difficult if you've not got a role model, someone that you could go and speak to. You also need to be able to do the job well as well. But for me, having a diverse organisation is really important. And what the academic research shows, that if you've got a diverse organisation, you are, you are higher performing, you are higher achieving. If you think about your team, Pete, if you surrounded yourself by people who think like you and are unwilling to challenge you, you're not as effective. If you're trying to solve a problem, you need people who think differently. And that's why that's the brilliant thing I think about policing is we're a huge team. We come from all walks of life. We bring with us that difference, different ways of problem solving things, which is why it's so important to me that we are inclusive and reflective of the communities we're serving. One of the big problems the police have got, and I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, is is um, crime on uh, the internet and the manpower needed to sort it out. And people say to me, well, there's been a complaint on Twitter. Why hasn't somebody done something about it? Or there's been a complaint on uh, Facebook or whatever. People have no idea of the man hours that go into that, do they? Yeah, just I'll, I'll just uh, pick you up on your, your phrase there, manpower, Pete. Um, but... Beg your pardon, I'll stand back, see, politically correct, this is why I don't do the phone-in anymore. Go on. <laughs> um, you're right, you know, we saw a huge increase in cybercrime during, during COVID. Now, we have been able to, we have and we are able to put additional resources into cybercrime. It's one of the fastest growing areas. But because we're getting additional resources, additional police officers, uh, because of the uh, government's target to recruit an extra 20,000 officers into uh, into policing, we're getting an extra 660 here in Merseyside. So we've invested them into cybercrime. But there is a lot needed by individuals themselves, individual responsibility around, one, around your behaviour, um, around what you think is willing, what, what you think is acceptable to post online. Um, so there is that education piece right from, you know, primary schools, schools, employees, employers around that having acceptable social media policies um, so we don't get into the territories of hate crime. But you've then also got... Um, your own personal responsibility around your passwords and keeping yourself safe online because of the volume of cyber cybercrime that we are dealing with it for us we um we talk around what we call a 4p plan and part of that is preventing the crimes occurring in the in in the first place so as with any crime you know we talk about crime prevention and we're used to the kind of traditional crime prevention you know have have security lights have an alarm locks doors bolts it's no different to cybercrime and hate crime. It's around keeping yourself safe online. And we invest an awful lot around that. But we also invest an awful lot around pursuing offenders. And that's why we've got the dedicated staff and upskilling the whole organisation about investing cybercrime. You know, I've got 29 years in now, Pete, and me trying to investigate, uh, investigate a cybercrime, thank God I don't have to because I'm not the most tech-savvy person. But what I need to do is make sure that the organisation, the people who are investigating those cybercrimes and those hate crimes online and the domestic abuse on online have got the skills, the knowledge, the capability and the kit to be able to do that. 
I'm glad you said what you said then. That was a great comparison. Uh, you do put uh, lights, you do put burglar alarms on. You have got to look after yourselves. I find that an awful lot of people these days expect the police to do everything for them. And you're not there to do everything. You're there to fight crime. But it, it, it makes me quite cross. But I think that's a great analogy that you look after your home, look after what you're doing on social media. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 80% of what what is reported to us every day is not crime-related. And we have a role within that as policing, but we have a role to work with our partners to make sure that people, when they're reporting things to us, are being signposted to the most appropriate organisation. And in relation to preventing crime occurring in in, in, in the first place, it doesn't matter whether it's what we would say is a traditional crime, so the crimes we know around burglary, you know, vehicle crime, things like that, robbery, keeping yourself safe when you're out and about, the same applies to crime online. I'm glad you said that because uh, every time I've interviewed you, uh, I've said this over and over again. Policing is not just about policing. It's the people helping policing, like uh, Crime Stoppers, like reporting stuff and all this business. I'm not a, a narc or anything. It's an, a load of rubbish, isn't it? We've got to help the police and work with the police. And we are really lucky in Merseyside. We've got fantastic relationships um, with our communities. You know, our local policing teams, our community engagement teams go out there doing great work, going back to that, you know, working really hard to make sure that our communities have got trust and confidence in Merseyside Police. We've also got great relationships with our partners. We've always enjoyed that here on Merseyside. But what we saw during COVID, because we were meeting daily, um, you know, at the start of COVID, probably twice a day, those working relationships have been strengthened. So again, not that there's many positives about COVID, but the strength of the partnership working across Merseyside on the back of COVID um, is absolutely fantastic. And that was evident after the explosion at, you know, at the women's hospital, how quickly we were able to mobilise, have staff on the ground, but then also coming together as a partnership around what we need to do to move us into what we would call is recovery, i.e. getting us back to getting us back to normal um it, you know it was it was great to see where are we up to with gun crime here so um actually in merseyside we are seeing our lowest amount of gun crime that we've seen in the past 20 years so last year i think there was 37 firearms discharges the year before that was 42 and you might say oh well that's only a reduction of five but when we go back to kind of three and four years before that and then 20 years you know, we were up in the 80s, 90s and even, you know, over 100. So and that has a massive impact on our communities in terms of their fear of crime, because we know if a firearms discharge happens in your community, you've got that fear of crime, how that actually makes you and your family and your friends feel. But from a policing you know, perspective, the cost of investigating every firearms discharge and every fire injury firearms discharge um, and the amount of resources and time it takes. So, you know, it is a great success story, right from, um, again, that the work we've done to proactively take uh, weapons off the street. It's the firearms uh, surrender at this moment in time. And again, the last firearms surrender we saw here on Merseyside, we took over 100 firearms off the streets of Merseyside. And I would say each one of them potentially 
could have ended up being used in crime, so it's a real positive. Right through to our firearms investigation team, which are a dedicated team investigating every firearms incident. You know, so some significant work that we are doing with our regional organised crime unit, with the National Crime Agency, um, with NABIS, to make sure that our response to firearms um, here in Merseyside is one of the best in the country. And I think it's through that work is why we are seeing the lowest firearms discharges we've seen in 20 years. That's fantastic. Um, what about drugs? Where are we up to with the drug situation? No, drugs is, is still absolutely um, a priority. And again, making great inroads in terms of our response to dealing with people um, for possession with intent to supply and speeding up the process in, in the way in which we deal with their digital advices and getting them through the criminal justice system. Our approach to county lines, you know, recognising the work, recognising what happens to our young people here on Merseyside, that on occasion they are exploited and sent outside of the city to deal drugs. You know, again, we're doing fantastic work in relation to county lines. We, each year we've met our required uh, number of uh, lines that we, we've closed. We work with other law enforcement agencies right across uh, the country. We go out and we, we target our nominals when they go down into Devon and Cornwall, when they travel up into Cumbria, when they travel in, into North Wales, because we know we are impacting on the communities outside of Merseyside. And there's nothing better than a Merseyside nominal See, thinking they're safe to go and deal in North Wales or Cumbria or down in Devon and Cornwall and suddenly seeing our county lines team down there being spotted and being arrested. But what we also do is recognise the vulnerability of some of those people who are being trafficked. You know, they are being treated as modern-day uh, victims of slavery, trafficked across the country for the purpose of dealing drugs. They are victims, and we make sure that they are safeguarded. And we have safeguarded over 300 young people uh, in the past year who have been victim of being exploited because of county lines. We absolutely prioritise... Um, the relentless pursuit of those offenders who are exploiting our young people and causing misery in our communities. It's an absolute priority for us and around protecting the vulnerable as well. And with the Chief Constable, a couple of more questions and I'll get out of your hair. Um, I've got to ask about 999. I heard through lockdown it went completely out of control for everybody, the police, the fire, everything. It's not to be abused, is it? It's there for a reason. Absolutely. We need to make sure that people are using uh, 999. If you're in an emergency situation, absolutely give us a call. Ring 999. That's what it's there for. But it's not there to tell us that, you, you know, that your cat's up your tree or, you, or you, you, you know, your takeaway's not been delivered. While people are answering the phone for those, for those um, messages, you know, we cannot get... There'll be somebody... It might be that someone's ringing just to say that there's something... There's a serious incident going on in their house, in their community. While we're answering the phone to that call, you know, we can't get to that person who we might just need to get to to save their lives. So we absolutely need to prioritise that um, that responsible use of the of the, of the 999 system. Um, and whilst we have seen demand go back up since coming out of COVID, actually, um, we are we are one of the best performing in the country around the, the, the um, speed in which we 
answer uh, we answer the the phones and you know incredibly proud of the work that our call takers do every day making sure they are there available free to answer the phone um, and some of the things that our call takers deal with you know yeah, hugely um, traumatic and um, difficult for them to do they do a great job whenever I go in and, and hear the the way in which they engage with members of our of our community I'm always so proud of the work they do tell me uh, with Ukraine the situation is that changing police at all there is a war over there Have people got a different attitude at all have you sensed any think so obviously Merseyside Police has taken its part in um, you know collecting collecting stuff to send over uh, to, to Ukraine and we a couple of weeks ago we sent um, a couple of uh, vans full of stuff that had been collected by ourselves and Merseyside Fire and Rescue Service to send over to Ukraine. We recognise there's residents here in Merseyside who are from the Ukraine who are worried about their family members over there. So you know a key part of it is our local policing teams and our community engagement teams identifying who those people are and providing that providing that community reassurance but actually it's having some practical um uh, impacts for us as well um you know in terms of our vehicle fleet we know it's slowing down the um the ability to get your hands on neon which goes in headlights so therefore it's causing impacts on getting your hands on new vehicles so it's slowing down our ability for things like that where we need to get new vehicles and we can't get them firstly because of the impact of covid uh, and then now because of the impact of ukraine so there's some practical examples um, that, that uh, are happening but also like everybody you know rising fuel bills what that means is it creates more of a budget challenge for us as well so some very practical examples yeah it's not just about policing ladies and gentlemen it's budgets as well to finish off uh, thank you very much for allowing me into this amazing building and i am going to make a couple of them biscuits because they've been driving me mad don't eat biscuits at home but i'm definitely going to have two of those what's your message to everybody out there you look back over your year what's your message to the Merseyside people and we're living in very strange times you've been here just over a year you've got a new building the other building is going to go up for sale um livable people are still fun people we still have a lot of crime about what's your message Merseyside is a fantastic place it's one of the safest cities uh, in the country and you know my officers and staff are incredibly proud to be part of Merseyside Police that always gets commented on when we get visitors to the city just the sense of pride I think it's definitely linked to Scouse Pride but you can be reassured that the staff are out there every day no matter what their role in the organisation everybody is focused on doing their very best to keep the people of Merseyside safe enjoy that why not subscribe it's free. 